This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am back. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Combe. Hey, Elon. Welcome back. Hello, everybody. Brian, I'm so happy to be back. I really enjoyed the episode you put together last week. Hopefully people aren't disappointed that it's back to the regular format now. I know I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that must have been a lot of work putting together all those interviews, but it really was great. I enjoyed it quite a bit. But no time for small talk. We have so much to talk about this week. So let's first, though, just mention that we are presented by DailyFaceOff.com, which is your source for starting goalies, line combinations, fantasy news. It's really great. And that actually brings us to the first fantasy hockey headline of the week because it was by browsing Daily Faceoff that I noticed that the Dallas Stars have a really interesting line situation right now. Like Things are really interesting in Dallas. The power play has changed. The first line has a new member. And I think we have to start, though, with a guy who out of nowhere has caught everybody's attention. I'm sure that a lot of people might know who we're talking about. John Klingberg, defenseman on the Dallas Stars. If you don't know who this guy is, then you might want to go and check because this guy has played seven games so far this season. But let's even just look at his last four games. He's got two goals and four assists in his last four games. He's been playing over 22 minutes a night, some games up to almost 26 minutes. And according to Daily Faceoff, which is also according to reality, he's on the first power play. Like, Daly's not on the first power play. Goligoski's not on the first power play. It's Klingberg. So, Brian... Who is this guy? He definitely is a guy who's come out of nowhere. Like you said, he was picked in the fifth round, 131st overall in 2010. He's now played 23 minutes or more in six consecutive games, including a whopping five minutes plus on the power play on Saturday night versus LA. He has that little good run of points that you just mentioned. And what I can tell you is that he seems to be an offensively minded defenseman who has immediately taken the opportunity made available to him on the Stars' blue line with the departure of Sergei Gonchar. Before coming up, he had 12 points in 10 games with Dallas's AHL affiliate, which actually comprises nearly all of his North American experience to date. Now, we had someone mention to us that they had read somebody else say that Klingberg was the next Eric Carlson. 
Let's not get carried away here, but in the short term, he is a very interesting add playing on the second pairing at both even strength and on the power play with Alex Goligoski, even seeing some first unit power play time last night. Yeah, so over the past couple of days, we've been having a pretty interesting conversation about Klingberg over on the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking, should I drop various people for Klingberg? We've had people asking, should I drop Weidman for him? Should I drop Dougie Hamilton? Uh, David Backus was asked. Goligoski himself, you know, should I drop Goligoski for Klingberg? Actually, that's a good one to start with, Brian. If you have Goligoski, or let's say also let's throw in Daly, let's say you could only keep one Dallas defenseman and you have to decide right now who would you go with for the rest of the season. Not keep as in keeper pool, because obviously then maybe Klingberg is better because he's the youngest, but just for the rest of this season. I'd still keep Goligoski. I know what Klingberg is doing is really exciting, but I am not one to react based on four game samples. And so I wouldn't do that in this case. I know Goligoski has not really delivered on what he was expected to be. I mean, he started in Pittsburgh playing with some really talented players, and then he moved to Dallas, did all right. He had 42 points last year, which is, of course, pretty good. And I thought reasonable to expect again this year. Even the last year started with a really slow start. This year is another slow start, but now I'm wondering if he is going to recover because of the emergence, well, at least the semi-emergence of Trevor Daly on the power play. I think Daly is submerging once again, so he would be number three of the group you just mentioned between him, Klingberg, and Goligoski. Having Klingberg on that top power play unit is really tempting, although I think the Stars are still trying to see what works and, and what doesn't. I don't know if Klingberg sticks there. I'd like to see another five or six games of usage to see how he's going to be deployed over the rest of the season, because it does kind of look like maybe he's going to stick around. But I will still take the defenseman who is established getting 35-40 points over the defenseman who has six points in four of his last six NHL games. Yeah, this is really the interesting thing about fantasy hockey, right? It's so hard to make these decisions because what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You know, might as well wait and see. Goligoski's a proven guy. Klingberg, who knows what's going to happen with him. At the same time, if you don't take him now... Someone else is going to take him, and then you'll never have the opportunity to to get him, assuming he stays really good. So it's tough, but I know, Brian, you're always the conservative stick with the hand you know, and I think that's a very reasonable strategy, and obviously it works well for you. Let's not overlook that I did say you could drop daily for him. That's true. If you do have daily, then you've heard him. We actually had daily in our joint pool, and we dropped him recently for Jake Muzzin, who is also really hot, and you talked about him last week. But let's stick with the Dallas Stars and move from defense to offense because there's other interesting changes going on with the Stars lines and specifically that first power play because there's another name there that sort of makes you think, what? What's that guy doing on the top power play? But Antoine Roussel is actually there along with Sagan and Ben, Spezza and Klingberg. And that's a name who a lot of people probably also, you know, I don't think he was drafted in many pools. He's known more as a penalty minutes guy. But now if he's playing on the top power play, as well as still getting his typical amount of penalty minutes, he must be a really strong add, at least in leagues that count PIMS. Yeah, normally a pest type player. He is on that top power play unit and making the most of it. He has three power play assists to go along with three other points in his last nine games. That's six points total in that span. I'll do the math there for you. 
And Elon, like you said, those penalty minutes help add to his value in leagues that count those. So sure, if you're looking for someone to add to your roster, he should be probably around the top of your watch list in a reasonably deep-ish league. Yeah, Roussel's also on the second line along with Spezza and Hemsky. And maybe we'll give Hemsky a break this week. He's actually doing not that bad. He's on a bit of a mini streak right now. I know we've been really down on him. But yeah, three points in his last two games. Definitely not, not too shabby. A guy to keep an eye on. But I actually want to talk about a different person brian one last dallas star that i want to talk about is a guy who's on the top line along with ben and sagan cody eakin another one of these who the heck is this guy type of players and he's another guy who's making the most of his new opportunity he's got two goals and three assists in his last three games you know which is amazing none of those points on the power play but you know if you need a guy who gets points playing with ben and sagan is probably two of the best line mates you could have would you recommend people taking a flyer on Eakin right now? Yeah, I think I would. And actually, I think I'd take him over Roussel if I'm choosing between the two, assuming that the lines stay exactly as they are. I might take him. He was an occasional topic on the podcast last year as a guy who'd occasionally pick up a handful of points then go silent, then pick a few more points up and then go silent again and so on and so on. The season to date for him had been wholly unremarkable featuring an eight game point draw that broke when he was placed square in the middle of Ben and Sagan. Like you said, he has five points in his last three games with eight shots on goal. He's seeing about five more minutes of ice each night in that position. The Stars have to be happy that Eakin's success on line one lets them spread their offense out a little more evenly throughout their lineup. And I expect he stays there at least a little while longer. And as long as he is, he's kind of in the same class of pickup as Michael Roffel or Patrick Maroon. Yeah, right now, Roffel's injured, so kind of like forget about him. And I definitely would want Eakin over Maroon at this point. Yeah, just beware. If you're going to add him, you're going to want to check their line combos each night because if the deck gets shuffled again, he won't be in as good a spot that he is right now. And he's shown throughout his career so far that unless he's in that spot, he's not going to offer you any meaningful production. All right, so that's our Dallas Stars coverage. Let's move on to our second fantasy hockey headline of the week. Let's talk about the big injury, which is of a guy who Brian really hasn't been promoting that you pick up. I know he was a strong pickup for a lot of people, especially at the start of the season. But Pascal Dupuis is now out for a long period of time, basically out indefinitely. He's got blood clot issues. The Penguins have really bad luck with these weird types of injuries, I have to say. But in Dupuis' absence, obviously he was playing with Malkin, and actually he had even moved up to the first line and was playing with Crosby, which was pissing me off because I have Hornqvist, and it was a bummer that Hornqvist got bumped. And you know, it's it's funny. It's only with Pittsburgh where it's considered a, a bump when you are now having to play with Malkin. But obviously someone is going to have to jump into the this top six role on Pittsburgh, which is almost always a guarantee for an increase in production. So Brian, who do people need to be looking at on the Penguins with Dupuis out? Well, first off, let's give our best wishes to Pascal Dupuis. We hope he makes a full and speedy recovery and returns to action soon. But what this does is bring us back to a line combination conversation that is probably up there with the Ducks situation in terms of the frequency that we've spoken about it over the last handful of years. And that conversation, of course, is who gets to play on Sidney Crosby's wing? Who gets to play on Evgeny Malkin's wing? Will it be career depth scorer Blake Como? Highly touted but inexperienced prospect Bo Bennett? Now, I'll give the usual disclaimer about my dislike for line combo speculation, and I'm going to try and keep this very simple. My best guess is that Patrick Hornqvist steps back up to the top line with Crosby and Kunitz, and then Bennett gets a shot alongside Malkin with Spalling or Sutter as the third piece there. 
I just mentioned three names that the pens really have a lot of freedom to move around up and down through the lines as they see fit. And Steve Downey, you can add to that list. So expect a lot of line shuffling. But I do think that the only guy who will probably be guaranteed value out of this is Patrick Hornquist, and he already had it. Right, yeah. And so for those wanting to, you know, make a spot start just for the next game, currently as it stands, it's Como playing with Crosby and Spalling playing with Malkin and Hornquist. A lot of people were speculating that Bo Bennett might jump up. He still hasn't yet, even though he had a strong game a couple of games ago, a goal and two assists against Montreal. Since then, he hasn't done anything, and he's still remaining on the Penguins' third line, which means he's probably not worth much. But yeah, keep an eye, I would say, on Bennett. If he jumps up, maybe he's worth something. As of now, though, I agree with you, Brian. Probably not worth making too big of an investment in any of these guys because they all get jumped around so much. Yeah, neither of those players. You just mentioned Bennett's three-point game. Outside of that, he has zero points in the other five games he's played this year. He had seven points in 21 games last season. He had 14 in 26 the year before, which is better, but still, you know, I'm going to need to see more before I believe on him. He's got a cool name, and I think that makes people a little more excited for him. Blake Como, on the other hand, with the time that he spent on the first line last night, he managed nothing but one shot on goal and three hits, but anyone can get you hits. All right, another injury I wanted to talk about. This is actually a little bit old, but Alex Stalock is injured on San Jose. He's going to be out for a while. And I want to take this moment to eat crow a little bit because I remember going into this season, I was one of those people thinking that Stalock was going to be a great pickup because Niemi is losing favor in San Jose. And so Stalock would be a great guy who could potentially take over the number one job there. It wasn't happening. Niemi's been pretty good. But still, now that Stalock's injured, I do want to mention that there's a new goalie in town. Troy Grosnick, he came in and had a shutout with his first game with the Sharks, a 45-save shutout against Carolina, so he made a big impact. Then his next game, he kind of came down to earth, led in three goals and lost to the Sabres. So, Brian, I guess my question is, since I know you were always saying to just stick with Niemi, so you didn't think Stalock was that great, but at this point, would you say Grosnick is basically at the same level as Stalock was before in terms of his value, or, you know, higher or lower? No, I'd say lower. I mean, Grosnick did have a 9.36 and 9.26 save percentage over two seasons with Union College of the NCAA. And then when he moved on to the AHL, he's posted a 9.03 save percentage in 35 games last year and a 9.08 in just 10 games so far this year. He's put in two good performances so far with the Sharks. I wouldn't expect it to keep rolling. And this makes Niemi's value even that much higher. All right, the next fantasy hockey headline I want to talk about, and this might be a bit selfish because a few weeks back, I asked if Ovechkin sucked, you said no, and then he started doing well. Then I asked if Schneider sucked, and you said no, and then he started doing well. So Brian, we have another person on our team that I think needs a bit of a jump start. So let me ask you this question. Does Henrik Lundqvist suck? And we've actually talked about him earlier in the season. We talked about both Rask and Lundqvist having really slow starts. Since we talked about those guys, Rask, has definitely picked up his game. Everyone who listened to Brian must be very happy that they didn't sell low on Tuka Rask. He's had save percentages of like 931, 947, 929. He had a shutout. Like I'm just looking at his past few games. Like basically every game has been great for Rask aside from one clunker against Toronto recently. Lunkfist, on the other hand, has been, I guess, inconsistent at best. Like so overall, he's now got a 910 save percentage on the year, which is still, you know, quite low, especially for a guy like him. And, you know, if you look over his past few games, he had three goals against against Detroit, then a really good couple of games against Edmonton and Pittsburgh, a shutout against Pittsburgh, actually, which was amazing. But then, you know, a 
bad game against Colorado, then a good game against Pittsburgh again, then a bad game against Tampa Bay. So Lundqvist definitely isn't the sort of guaranteed must-star, or at least isn't playing like that guy that you'd expect him to be. Actually, someone on the Keeping Carlson Patreon Facebook group asked, can you also talk about someone whose name rhymes with Fenwick Funkvist? That was another Brian. And then, Brian, you said Dunkvist. So that means we must talk about Lundqvist. So tell me, does he suck or is he going to be okay? No surprises here. Henrik Lundqvist does not suck. Last year in October, he had a terrible start and we had the same conversation. He had a 908 save percentage through his first nine appearances. And this year was not a whole lot better. An 891 save percentage through his first eight appearances. However, last year he rebounded in November and this year he has two Elon. Over his last seven starts, he has a 930 save percentage. Okay, but take out those two games against Pittsburgh and what's his save percentage? No, but that's not how it works. We don't take (laughs) out the the games that, that help support our points. We have to include them all in the picture. I think what makes him look worse than he is is that in his November starts, he's had seven of them. The Rangers have only managed to give him the win two times, even though he's giving up only an average of 2.07 goals per game. All right, I get what you're saying, and I agree with you, but I guess what I'm suggesting is that, yeah, he's overall doing well in November, but it's sort of like up, down, up, down, and overall, I guess, the, it averages out to being up. But I would expect Lungfist to be up all the time. Well, I don't mean to concern you, but last year in December, he had an 889 save percentage, which was worse than his October save percentage. So maybe if this is a mirror image of last year, if it's going to be exactly the same thing, brace yourself for a rough <laughs> December with Henrik Lundqvist. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right. Well, good to know. And hopefully you just saying that will be a good omen like it was for Ovechkin and Schneider. Let's move on to the fourth fantasy hockey headline of the week. And I promise, guys, this won't be a whole episode of Fantasy Hockey Headlines like it was a while ago. We also have a bunch of players of note. But I want to go to our fourth headline. Let's talk about some low-scoring teams that are now scoring. So I remember earlier in the year, we had an episode where basically we're talking about who are the teams you basically don't want to own anybody on. And the two names that you came up with were Florida and Buffalo. But lately, at least for Florida, the goals are starting to come. They've had... Two, three, two, six, three, four, four. I'm just going back through the last few games. You know, decent number of goals over the last handful of games that they've played. Are the Panthers now considered a high-scoring team? And I know specifically, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about Nick Bjugstad, who has been totally on fire. So he's definitely someone we need to talk about. And then the Sabres, I guess, still aren't really scoring that many goals. But I'm curious to know if you've updated your thoughts on either of these two teams. I have not yet updated my thoughts on either of these two teams. They're both still at the bottom of the league in terms of goals scored per game, unfortunately, along with the Winnipeg Jets. And that's an even strength on the power play. Buffalo stays at the bottom. Florida rises a little bit. But I suppose if you took like the last five game sample, they would be a little more competitive in those standings. So Perhaps they are trending in the right direction. We'll need to wait a little longer. But Elon, let's start with talking about Nick Bjugstad. As we mentioned earlier this year, he's up with Ovechkin and Skinner in the rate at which he's taking shots. And lo and behold, those shots are starting to go in. He's got six goals on 22 shots in his last seven games played and three assists to go along with those for a nice little run. And like you said, the Panthers are actually... All, or not quite all, but some of them are starting to show a little bit of life. Yusi Jokinen has just come off a stretch where he had 12 points in 11 games played, and 25-year-old Jimmy Hayes 
which is a fun hockey name, has nine points in his last 10 games. Rookie Vincent Trocek had a five-game point streak as well while centering Jokinen and Hayes, but that's about as deep as the Florida well runs right now. I wouldn't get too excited about any of those options in particular. If you're in a really deep league, they're probably available, especially Bjorkstad. I actually wanted to add him recently, but I had some IR issues that needed to be resolved. You wanted to hold on to Semin, didn't you? Yes, I did. I can't give him up for nothing. I've got to get something for him, <laughs> but I'm, I'm coming close. I'm getting there. Like maybe by game like 35 or 40, I'm going to waste ha- half a season. I'm going to waste a roster spot for, and then I'll cut ties. But let's take it back to Bjorkstad for a second. The reason that I wanted him was because of his lofty shot rate. And it's worth mentioning that another guy up there with him close to the top 10 or just outside the top 10 with Ovechkin and Skinner is Montreal's Brendan Gallagher and Cam Atkinson of the Columbus Blue Jackets actually leads the league in this category at this point in the season. So I actually, as the more reactionary of the two of us, I did pull the trigger and pick up Bjugstad. I dropped Tommy Wingles, who I had picked up basically because he was a guy who got a lot of shots and was seeming to get some points. And I thought, well, at this point, Bjugstad is taking more shots than Wingles and he's getting all these goals and assists like you've been mentioning. So I thought, you know, it was an easy switch for those two. I'm really excited to see if Bjugstad can keep up at least the shots. You know, in one of my leagues, there's only seven categories and shots is one of them. So a guy who could take a lot of shots is worth a lot. And now that Bjugstad is starting to get some goals, it's it's pretty exciting. But I guess you're saying aside from him and maybe even including him, not too much value on the Panthers. Okay, and then regarding the Sabres... Toot Selleck on our, our Facebook group asked if there's any value with the Sabres top line of Ennis Molson and that long G word guy. So at this point, do you still think those are three people that should just be left on the free agent list if they're there? If your league counts G's in a player's name as a category, then Zemgis Gurgensins is a great pickup. Otherwise, I don't think any of those three are even inching towards fantasy relevance in Buffalo at this point. You know, it's probably worth mentioning, though, Matt Molson has seven points in his last seven games, three goals and four assists. So I would say maybe there's something going on there. But if you look at the Sabres overall, they're really not scoring a lot of goals. So it's hard to imagine that he'll be able to keep up a reasonable point production. Lowest goals rate in the league, without a doubt. Like it's it's not even really close and it won't be close by the end of the season. Their possession numbers are awful. They're not getting a lot of chances to score. I wouldn't want to do it. And if, like, the Sabres had Mike Milbury or Don Waddell as their general manager who would send Molson away, you know, maybe midseason for, like, a tepid, lukewarm return, then maybe I'd say pick him up now for when he gets traded. But Tim Murray in Buffalo is a serious guy, and he's not going to let Molson go at all if he doesn't think he can win a trade big. So even hoping for that outcome by picking up Molson isn't going to work out for you. I think he still belongs in free agency. All right, and for the fifth and final fantasy hockey headline of the week, I want to talk about Yaroslav Halak. He's got six wins in a row. And I want to especially bring him up because I remember a few episodes back, we talked about some goalies that were potentially challenging for the starting role. And we mentioned Chad Johnson on the Islanders because he had played, I think, three games in a row. And you said that people should definitely not worry about Halak because he's the more skilled goalie and eventually he will claim his rightful spot. And the people who listened to you were definitely rewarded, you know, six wins in a row. And these are also like good wins, you know, over 920 save percentage in all of those games, including two shutouts. So... That's the headline. I don't even know if you have anything to say about that as, aside from uh, I told you so. Am I really that petty? Do you think I'm that petty? <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you have something to say about Halak? Well, I guess I could just point out that Johnson has played only twice since November 6th. 
And of his last five starts, all but one of those, so four of his last five starts, he has had a save percentage of 867 or lower. Yeah, so he's definitely a snoozer if you picked him up during his streak, and Halak is definitely a guy you want on your roster, as the Islanders are really hot right now. Yeah, and I think the turnaround is like semi-complete there. I think they're going to be a competitive team throughout the rest of the year. They look like a playoff team right now, especially I watched the whole game against Pittsburgh on Saturday night. They looked fantastic. I would love to have their goalie on my team to collect wins. So since you watched that that whole game, were there any players on the Islanders that jumped out at you? They're also a team kind of like Dallas, where they have a lot of people jumping around and playing with, you know, Tavares and being on these lines where you'd expect them to get boosts in production. Who on the Islanders right now do you have your eye on? I saw Brock Nelson finish a fantastic passing play on the power play. And remember at the beginning of the year, we were kind of lukewarm on him. Like he seemed like a really good ad, but there were some warning signs. And the main warning sign was his shot rate. Well, now he has a fantastic shot rate. Over his last four games, he actually has 20 shots. He had seven shots in one game, eight shots in the next, four shots last night. And as long as he keeps shooting the puck, I think things are going to work out all right. He still, yes, has some regression to go through, but 19 points in 20 games is a pretty well-sustained pace. He's not going to sustain it for 82. However, it still shows that he's not falling off completely, and maybe he is worth having on your team for the duration of the season. Yeah, I guess the people who held on to Brock Nelson right from the start when he had his hot start are probably pretty happy right now after that, like you said, that slowdown in the middle. I thought maybe you would mention someone like Nikolai Kuleman. I guess he's at least worth mentioning. You know, he's five points in his last six games, and he's playing on the top line with Tavares. I'd imagine as long as he's there, there's some added value. But I know that you generally like to stay away from guys who are just getting value because of their line mates. Yeah, I championed Kuleman and Grabowski a lot in the early part of the season. I'm not as much of a believer today as I was back then, but Kuleman sure is like a good depth ad, I think. Yeah, and another guy on my mind from the Islanders is Lubavor Viznovsky, who you and I had in our pool, and we dropped him. And since we dropped him, he's sort of punished us by getting two points in his last three games. You know, nothing to write home about, but I wonder if at the end of the year we'll end up regretting or being okay with the fact that we dropped Viznovsky. We did it for Muzzin, so couldn't have been that bad. I think we might have dropped him during a bit of a dry run for the Isles power play. And when that picks up, he'll be the one getting points. So maybe, but yeah, Muzzin was not a terrible replacement. And we'll be looking to maybe cycle through that defenseman spot a few times over the course of the rest of the year. Yeah, he's still available. So I guess we'll have to keep our eye on him. Right now we've got Muzzin and Klingberg. So we'll see if one of them ends up being drop worthy for Viznovsky in the future. But that does it for our Fantasy Hockey Headlines of the Week. We still have a lot to go in this show, a lot of players we want to talk about. But before we do, let's just take a quick second to thank all of the patrons who have helped to support Keeping Carlson. We're having so much fun in our patron-only Facebook group. For anyone who's not a patron, you've got to know, I just got to tell you, it's a good time there. People are posting fantasy hockey questions, and then you know you got 10, 12 comments from all kinds of people, including, of course, Brian and myself. So it's become a really great place. You know, Brian and I have even started asking fantasy hockey questions there since there's so many smart people that are helping us out. If you are interested in becoming a patron, I'm not going to do a whole big spiel about it, but check out patreon.com slash keepingcarlson to get more information. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash keepingcarlson. And I also want to thank the recent patrons from the last week or so, Josh Wilson, Mike Gohabs, Gauthier, Gomar, Comer, and Yannick Lafrancois. Thank you so much for signing up. And yeah, I hope that more of you will join up because also we have our 
monthly patron cast coming up, which is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'm just going to remind everybody that there is a $1 a month option. So you could just throw us a quarter an episode, and that means all the bonus content is still totally free for you. It would just make us feel pretty good and supported by having you stand up and be counted and just let us know you're out there and you believe in what we're doing. But okay, enough about the patrons, except to say that let's move on to a listener question, which came from a patron. Matt asked, me trading Jeff Carter for McKinnon in a four-keeper league. What do you think, Brian? Should he trade Jeff Carter for McKinnon? Carter's having a fantastic year, 17 points in 21 games. While McKinnon had a slow start, but now has really picked it up, he's got five assists in just his last two games and 16 points overall on the year. I feel like this is an obvious answer, especially because it's a keeper league. Yeah, so do I. And I don't think Nathan McKinnon's value will be as low as it was when the trade was made for a very long time. He had only 11 points in his first 18 games. He now has five assists in his last two games with eight shots on goal in that span. I think it's a no-brainer. McKinnon is 19 years old and is going to like stay around the same pace for a little while and maybe go up when he's in his prime. Jeff Carter is 29 years old and forwards tend to decline in their early 30s. Easy win for McKinnon here. What about if it was a one-year league? Would that change your answer at all? Ooh, I think that would make it a lot closer and very even because Carter is a 25-30 goal guy. McKinnon scored 24 in his rookie year. He's on pace for 25 so far this year. So it would be about even, I think. I think McKinnon's the more exciting option and more fun to cheer for. But Jeff Carter is on the LA Kings, who definitely have their stuff a lot more put together right now than the Avalanche do. And yeah, speaking of the Avalanche, you know, like you said, McKinnon sort of had a not such a strong start to the year. Another player on the Avalanche who hasn't had a strong start is Gabriel Landeskog. And he's someone who we've gotten a ton of questions about over the last two weeks or so, I'd say, both on Twitter and in the Facebook group. Landeskog has only 10 points in 21 games this year. So people are starting to ask, you know, should I cut bait on Landeskog? Is he worth holding on to? Brian, what do you think about this guy at this point? Yeah, I don't think there's any player we've been asked more often about dropping or trading away over the last two weeks than Gabriel Landeskog, and his owners are understandably frustrated with him. After 65 points last year, he had only four points through his first 17 games this year, but we've preached patience the whole way, and hopefully you've held on. He's got four assists in his last four games played, but you're probably still like, yeah, okay, assists are fine, but he scored 26 goals last year. And he's now gone 11 consecutive games without one, only finding the net four times in 20 games to date. And to that, I say, take a look at his shot count and shooting percentage. He's got 61 shots on goal so far, that's about the same as McKinnon, and is ranked in the top 50 in shots per 60 minutes, boasting a near-identical rate to what he posted last year. So he's not doing anything wrong, it's the hockey gods who are. His shot percentage is bound to rise a bit, and a few more pucks will start going in. Your buy low window on Landeskog is probably shutting, and I know that's like the opposite answer to the question a lot of people are asking, is if I should drop him, and I'm saying no, buy low on him. You might be able to catch one of his owners off guard, and if you act fast, I think you'll be happy about that. He's going to be fine, and if you own him, you'll be fine. As long as you can hang on. If I can hold on to Alexander Semin, you can hold on to Gabriel Landeskog. Oh, Brian. I feel like that almost like makes people... Don't mention Semin and Landeskog in the same sentence. I think you're going to give people the wrong idea. It never happened. I have to tell you, I really don't get it. You know, he was scratched again recently. So his team doesn't even have faith in him, but you do. 
My $30 paid in the auction draft has faith in him. I, I know it's bad to not just go and, you know, say this is a sunk cost and get rid of him, but I feel like he'll get snapped up by somebody else and then I'll be upset when he does score a few goals. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. 20 bad games, 20 awful games, including a lot of healthy scratches. I don't have anything good to say, though. I don't know why it'll turn around. I don't know if it'll turn around. It's blind faith. Okay, well, he had a strong bounce back, right? He was scratched against the Kings, and then he came back and got a chance to play against Colorado, and he put up one shot on goal. So keep it up, Semin. But all right, <laughs> let's, go, let's talk about some more players who are actually fantasy relevant. Alex Killorn on Tampa Bay has come back from injury, and in six games, he has five points, four goals, and one assist. Four goals, actually... Over his past four games, one goal per game. This guy is consistently putting them in the net. At least recently, Brian, is Killorn a must-add at this point or still someone that's a fringe player who's just lucky at the moment? Well, last week we had that long and in-depth conversation on the Lightning with Kyle Alexander. And one name that, Elon, you actually noticed right away as being absent from my list of Tampa players who've recently come into fantasy relevance was Alex Killorn. So let's try and address that now. The book on him so far is that he's a roughly half point per game player who saw a lot of success with Valtteri Filipula last season, as well as a secondary role on the power play. This year, he's quietly produced five goals and three assists for eight points in 13 games played. He's been out with an injury here and there, but is on a five-game point streak, spending most of his time centering Jonathan Druin and Vladislav Nemesnikov, which is a kind of exciting combination. But he does bounce around the lineup throughout and between games. He's not going to sustain this five-game point streak for the rest of the season. It's, It's a pace that he's not going to keep up. But at this point, I consider him a fairly reliable and mildly interesting depth scoring option for most teams, Better than the prospect with upside, who isn't doing anything that might be sitting on your roster at this point of the season. Yeah, I guess the reason for me why I haven't considered picking up Killorn is because he just doesn't play on the power play at all. And that's, for whatever reason for me, that's just a sign that he's not going to be able to keep up his production. And especially with Tampa having all of these exciting young players who seem to be getting a higher opportunity, I also just can't imagine this keeping up. Yeah, good point. He does not see power play time on even the second unit and has barely seen any time at all there over the last 10 games. That's a good point, Elon. He's not going to get those easier minutes that a lot of other forwards do. Let's head over to a team that we don't really talk about that much. Let's talk about the Arizona Coyotes for a second. And specifically, I want to talk about their goaltending because I think it's a really interesting situation right now. Mike Smith has just been horrible all year. I feel like we've been getting lots of questions pretty much consistently throughout the season of like, should I just give up on Mike Smith? Should I drop Mike Smith? I'm trading it. Most people are even just like, I traded Mike Smith for this guy. On the other hand, Devin Dubnik, the backup, has actually been doing pretty well. He's got seven games played, five wins, 926 save percentage. Just looking at his last three games, he had a shutout against Vancouver, then let in only one goal against Edmonton, and then let in three goals against San Jose, but it was on 40 shots. So overall, Dubnik's doing well. To contrast that, Mike Smith, 890 save percentage and only four wins in 15 games. Yet, you know, Smith is still the starter and still getting the bulk of the starts. So I guess my question is twofold. First of all, is Dubnik going to take over as a starting goalie or at least become a 1A, 1B situation soon? And then I guess regardless, do you think that he'll be able to keep up his good numbers regardless of how many games he plays? 
Oh, and is Smith still going to suck? I feel like Smith is on borrowed time with his apparent reputation for being a really solid goalie. There was the year that he picked up 38 wins and posted a 2.21 goals against average and a 9.30 save percentage with 8 shutouts. But if you look through the rest of his career history, there is nothing remarkable about what he's done. And in fact, like he was almost left for dead after a really brutal stint in Tampa. This year, he's run hot and cold with a few good games and then a lot of bad games and then a few good games and then a lot of bad games. And Dubnik, on the meanwhile, is doing, well, I don't know. He's had like a few bad games and then a few good games full stop, because he hasn't been playing enough to go on as many ups and downs as Smith has. Right now, things are going well for him. I don't know if they'll sustain. You know I still kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him after picking him as a keeper goalie at the beginning of last season when he was still with Edmonton, and then that blowing up in his face, because I'm still convinced he's got the tools to be a good goalie. I don't know what the right situation is. I don't know if either goalie can see particular success in Arizona. They're a bottom five team in possession metrics. And to give you a sense of what that means is that they are grouped with Calgary, Colorado, Toronto, Columbus, and Ottawa right now in terms of shot attempts for versus shot attempts against. That's not a good group to be a part of, and I don't really know if they're going to pull out of that anytime soon. Things aren't looking good in Arizona, and I don't think they're going to be good for most of the rest of the season. I would not want either goalie, but if you have to pick one, just don't. Well, I think it's the kind of thing where Smith is probably taken. He was probably drafted. Probably a lot of people are just wondering if they should grab Dubnik off the free agent list, and I guess you're saying just leave him there. Depending on how desperate you are, if you have Smith, you probably want to handcuff with Dubnik, although I feel like that's not a good way to spend your roster spots. But in a league, if all the other goalies are taken and you've exhausted your trade options, then I guess you're stuck doing that. And then you'll have, you know, the occasional stinker from each of them, because if this continues, they're going to have a few good games and then really be terrible. Don't expect a lot of wins. Don't expect a good goals against average. Don't expect a whole lot. Run with them only if you have to. All right, and continuing our journey across the NHL, I wanted to make a quick stop in Columbus. Boone Jenner came back from injury. He was gone for the whole start of the year, but now he's played nine games. He has a goal and five assists for a respectable six points in nine games, and he's playing on Columbus's top line along with Ryan Johansson and Nick Foligno. So, Brian, I'm curious for your thoughts on Jenner, and also, I guess now that I mentioned Nick Foligno, maybe you could also share the news about what you did with Nick Foligno recently. And thank you, Elon, for the opportunity to prove to our listeners that we practice what we preach. I've been suggesting you sell high on Nick Foligno, and I've been desperately trying to do it for like the last two weeks until finally I was able to swing a trade. I sent Andrew Ladd, Mark Streit, and Nick Foligno to another owner in exchange for P.K. Subban and Joe Pavelski. I love how we're fellow Pavelski owners now. We're both Pavelski owners. We can both cheer for him. And even if I lose our Stasny Pavelski thing, I can still be content while eating those nachos that I paid for, knowing that he probably helped my fantasy team quite a bit. But anyways, on to Jenner. I don't have a ton of faith in him. He puts up a decent amount of shots on goal and a good amount of hits. And yeah, he scores the occasional point. He has two power play points so far this season. It's hard to really talk about the Columbus players because I feel like they're just waiting for so many injury situations to resolve themselves before we see what their true lines will stand like. 
But in the meantime, I suppose, I mean, I don't think he's for me, but if you want to add him to your watch list or in a very deep league, put him on your team. Boone Jenner is an okay add, especially if your league does count hits as a stat. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear you say that, actually, because I was looking at Boone Jenner and thinking maybe I should pick him up. I was thinking of maybe dropping Joel Ward for him, which is one of my worst players, who I feel like I'm going to drop eventually, but he keeps on sort of chipping in a goal every couple of games. But then Jenner got taken, like, right before I was you know, probably about to make the switch. And I was like, oh, I blew it. And then I saw he was playing with Johansson. But I guess what you're saying makes a lot of sense that probably this won't even stand once the injuries come back. And even if he does play with Johansson, you know, how good can he really be? Yeah, Ward's been a half a point per game player over the last three seasons, which isn't great, but it's better than what Jenner's done. He's got 35 points in 81 career games. And of course, he's moving between different roles in the lineup, trying to see where he slots in. I don't doubt that at some point in his career, he's going to be a half a point per game player. I just don't know if now's going to be the time. Is he going to stick on that top line long enough to do it? And is Nick Foligno going to keep seeing the success he has? Because a lot of Jenner's points are going to depend on pucks going in for Foligno as well. And I guess that takes us to close to the end of the show. But of course, we need to give our listeners the patented Keeping Carlson lightning round. So Brian, why don't you give us, you know, 30 seconds to a minute on a couple of players giver. Okay, one exciting offensive player, much more exciting than Boone Jenner, and might be available in your league, shouldn't be available in your league, is Thomas Tatar of the Detroit Red Wings. No reasonably deep league should be sleeping on this guy. He's within the top 20 in the NHL with eight goals scored, but he's tied with like 10 or 15 other players. So there's this neat little trick we can do to see whose eight goals are the most impressive, and that's by comparing the number of goals scored relative to the ice times that they're seeing. And when we do that, we see that Tatar is third in the entire NHL in goals scored relative to his minutes played. He's averaging more goals per 60 minutes than Tyler Sagan, Max Pacioretty, and Vladimir Tarasenko. He trails only Rick Nash and Tanner Pearson, but the good news is that his shooting percentage is closer to those below him than those above him. So even though his shooting success rate is set to regress some, it shouldn't be as pronounced a decline as those above him. If he is available in your league and you've got a spot inhabited by a player who's only good for, say, 45 or 50 points, I would happily make the swap and suggest you do so as well. Well, yeah, it looks like Tatar is really good for goals. Nine goals in 20 games is a crazy pace, but, you know, only 12 points overall, only three assists. So, if you need goals, looks like Tatar's a good guy. Assists, we'll see. Looks like he's currently playing on Detroit's second line with Sheehan and Abdelkader. So not the best line mates, but like you're saying, he seems to be able to put goals in without many minutes and without such great line mates. So I'm really interested to see if that'll keep up. We get a lot of questions about Abdelkader and a lot more than we do about Tatar. And I wonder if that's because people aren't thinking about Tatar or if he's already gone in their leagues. If it's the former, then... And if you're about to ask us a question about Abdelkader, just quickly go and check your league before you ask to see if Tatar is available. So who do you have next for us in the lightning round? Let's talk about Alex Petrangelo a little bit more of the St. Louis Blues. I wonder if he's a buy low candidate, though I'm not totally sure. I don't know about your league, but Petrangelo just crawled into the top 400 players ranked in mine with his two assists last night versus the Sens. He's reached 50 points in two of the last three seasons, and that's earned him a ticket into one of our top defensive tiers, and there wasn't any reason to believe he wasn't going to come close again this season, but he had just seven points in 19 games played going into Saturday's games. Now that's nine points in 20 games, which isn't a whole lot better. 
His defensive assignments have been tougher than usual, and that might have something to do with it, but it's more likely that the Blues' four-forward configuration on their first power play unit, which we talked about in our interview last week with Rob Tufts, is part of the reason that he's hurting. I still think he's a pretty good buy-low candidate, though. Not sure he finds his way back onto that top power play unit anytime soon, but he should be able to put up a few more even-strength points than he has so far. It may be moot when talking about a guy who should be getting you 50 points but probably won't, but he also has been taking and blocking more shots than he usually does, averaging about two and a half in each category over the season so far. So if he's not scoring, at least he's doing something. But he is a guy that you do pick because he's going to score. Yeah, listeners of the podcast might remember that last year I almost traded Carlson. I actually did trade Carlson in a move which brought back Pietrangelo and Alex Ovechkin, but that move got vetoed in my league. And so I ended up keeping Carlson. And then I remember Brian was really annoyed at me for even having considered it. And I'm in the end very happy that I have Carlson instead of those other guys. But yeah, definitely surprising that Pietrangelo hasn't been putting up the points as much this year as before. I have a feeling that that he'll be fine. But Brian, why don't you end the show with the snoozer of the week? Who do people potentially have on their rosters that they should be considering cutting bait on? This is a bit of a sad one for me because he's done so much for a lot of people's fancy teams over so many years. And Elon, earlier this season, I convinced you to pick up Patrick Eliash for our team when he was dropped by someone else in our league after the draft. I consider Eliash an established scorer. He's bounced between 60 and 80 points for the last 15 years, and that's as recently as last year, when he quietly notched 53 points in 65 games. This year, though, is not going so well. Maybe the 38-year-old vet is finally slowing down just 11 points in 21 games played, and he's so far posting career-low numbers in all of goals, assists, and points per 60 minutes. His value has never been in shots on goal. He usually averages barely two a game. But right now, he's averaging just a hair over only one shot per game. And that, combined with the fact that he's not putting up points, gives him little value to most fantasy leagues. He's also seeing a larger share of his team's defensive zone starts than he ever has. His percentages say he's going to bounce back from bad personal and team shooting luck. But if you're in a league where there are, like, 55-60 point capable players hanging out of free agency then perhaps it's time to cut bait on Patrick Elias. But I hope, in all honesty, that he makes me eat those words. I've counted out Devils players several times, including him, over the last few years, and maybe he can disprove me one more time. At least in the short term, though, he's not doing a whole lot for your fantasy team. Well, hey, he did get an assist yesterday on Adam Henrique's goal. He's playing with him on the second line, so... Who knows, maybe that's the start of something, but I'm pretty happy that we dropped him in our league. He's still a free agent, and I don't see him getting picked up anytime soon. And that takes us to the end of another episode of Keeping Carlson. Brian, I feel like we've covered a lot of players. I'll be really interested to hear which things we've said have triggered people to make certain moves or to question certain things. If you have any feedback, for sure, let us know. We love to hear from people on Twitter. So you could follow us at Keeping Carlson. You could also ask us for fantasy hockey advice there. Also, if you really enjoyed the show or if you really found something valuable there, then maybe you could do us a favor and head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review there because that's a great way to help give some visibility to our show. I'd love it if we could show up on some list on iTunes of like sports podcasts. That would be pretty great. So help us get there. And then of course, even a higher level, you could always sign up to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. 
to get that warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting a podcast that you care about and also getting all the great rewards like being part of our Facebook group and getting access to our monthly patron cast. But with that, let's cue that outro music and Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Carlson. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Puckledytics, and puckon.net, which is the new name for the Fenwick Stats website. Also behind the net.ca and Yahoo Sports and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Thanks for another great episode, Brian, and we will catch you all next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sand. <laughs> <laughs>